Good morning once again. First of all, choir, wow. <laughs> that was amazing. That was just, that was tremendous. That really was. You know how easy it is to preach when you hear singing like that. It's just, that was very stirring. I so appreciated that, Don and Shirley. It's just an amazing job, so thank you so much. Um, What's well, um, kind, of, kind of funny, um, I, I, I walked in here this morning and Ed and Lena gave me a copy of this book, uh, He Gets Us, which I, appears being circulated. And, and what's funny about that is I was going to actually mention something about that here today. So it's neat how God works sometimes. Um, there, there's an organization called He Gets Us. I think it's hegetsus.com, if I'm not mistaken, and they run commercials. Uh, some of you may have seen this on the Super Bowl here. There was a Super Bowl commercial just the other week during the Super Bowl. I didn't watch it, but I heard a lot about it that actually, actually got a lot of flack from Christians. Uh, typically, the commercials, the, the He Gets Us campaign is about people... Um, uh, just be understanding that God understands us. And, and I, I like them for the most part. And I'm not saying I dislike this most recent one, but it caught a lot of flack because in this commercial, the He Gets Us commercial, it showed pictures of people washing other people's feet. And generally the people were on two different camps, so to speak, maybe politically different camps. They had different pictures and they were I have no problem with any of this, but for example, one was a white policeman washing the feet of a, I think like a back, black a gang leader or something along those lines. Um, and the last picture was a, a priest or a pastor of some sort washing uh, the, uh, the feet of um, a man dressed in drag. And it was, you know, it was kind of a startling contrast there. And the, 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 uh, the impact that it made or the, the criticism that it drew, I should say, is that a lot of Christians said, well, yeah, God gets us where we are, but he, he doesn't want to leave us where we are necessarily, that he wants to bring us along from there. So it's not just that he meets us where we are, but he wants to change us. And I get that, actually. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Matter of fact, as I was reading over the passage of Scripture for today, um, the Mark passage, I kind of saw that in there being echoed that God doesn't want to just simply leave us at a certain place, but he wants to move us along from there. I think that's important to remember and important to see. So uh, thanks, uh, Ed and Lana, for, for this copy. I'm anxious to read it and see what it has to say. Thank you for sharing that. So let's, uh, let's pause once more, go to the Lord in prayer, and then discover his word together here. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the goodness of worship, the goodness, Lord, that comes with fellowship, and to embrace one another, to shake hands, to greet one another, to hear about the lives of each other, Lord. We thank you for this. We thank you for this time. We thank you especially for your presence. You've promised where just two or three might be gathered, that there you would be. And so we trust by faith, whether we can feel it or sense it or not, Lord, that you, that you are here with us. Make yourself known, Lord, in the way that pleases you most, as we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we visit Mark chapter 1 again. Uh, it's funny, I, I sent my uh, email to Susan, and uh, when I tell her what dates I'll be here, and then she shares the reading of the scriptures, and she even had in parentheses, it's Mark chapter 1 again. This will be like the third time that I've talked from this passage. 
I think twice during uh, Advent season and now once during Lent season, and it's not that far removed. But each time that the Mark chapter 1 passage is read, we go a little bit further with it, a little bit more uh, to be said about. And really, there is a lot to unpack in just a few more verses of Mark chapter 1. Now, we've talked about this scene before, kind of pictured it on some unnamed riverbank along the Jordan. And there, John, this radical preacher, is preaching to the crowds, telling them that this kingdom is uh, about to appear, that the kingdom of God is about to burst on the scene. And he's calling people to repent from their sins and to be baptized. And there then steps out this one Jesus of Nazareth, to be baptized by John. John objects, but Jesus assures him this is the right thing to do. And so John baptized Jesus, and that's where our scripture picks up. He baptized Jesus, and and we read that as soon as he came up out of the water, the sky was opened. Now, it's interesting. The word open there in the Greek is more than just opening like the top of a bottle cap. It actually implies it was torn open. It was rent. It, you, you almost see this visual image of, of the sky being torn apart. It's, it's almost violent in a way. The sky is being torn open, and then this booming voice, you are my beloved son, and whom I'm well pleased. Pause just, just for a moment and take in this scene. Jesus comes out of the water, the sky, the sky above you, is torn into two. It's being ripped. It's being shredded there. And this booming voice. In John chapter 12, there's also a voice speaking very similarly. And in that sense, in that time, I mean, the people were frightened and they thought it was thundering. I would imagine that scene would be maybe similar to Mark chapter 1. The sky being torn And a voice thundering to the people. In a way, it's almost frightening, apocalyptic in nature. The sky being torn open. I can't even imagine what that must have looked like or heard like as this voice of God. Picture a very good baritone voice. This is my beloved son. I don't know, as I picture that, I could almost see myself beginning to quake a little bit, frightened at the, at the abruptness of it, at the fear of it. You know, as I, as I pictured this scene, though, it, it, it made me think that sometimes that's how God introduces himself. Because the next scene, the next thing we read there in Mark, is the appearance of the Holy Spirit. And one might think that with the sky being torn open and a voice thundering above in the heavens, that the appearance of God himself would come like a a flaming chariot, would would come as, as some great, fearful, dreadful event. But instead, the appearance of the Holy Spirit is like a dove. It's as a dove, it it flutters down, it seems, and lands upon Jesus. If you know much about doves, they're, they're not typically pictured on paintings as sweeping down over the lake and with their talons grabbing a fish and flying away. They're doves. They're gentle. They're peaceful. 
And isn't this a, a contrast of images here? We have the sky ripping apart. We have the voice booming. And then we have the appearance of God like a dove. Just gently falling, circling until it lands peacefully on his son Jesus Christ. And I love that contrast. I love it because it just seems to me that's it's often how God appears. There's this rendering, there's this violent shaking sometimes in our lives, and then the appearance of a peaceful God. Right now, I'm reading a book by Corey Ten Boom. Many of you know that name. Uh, it's not The Hiding Place. It was written about her life, but she made famous The Hiding Place. Uh, during World War II, Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy and their father, they ran a, a clock shop in, in Holland until Holland was overrun by the Nazis. And then they began to hide the Jews because they know they were being rounded up and mistreated, and they helped smuggle them out of occupied Holland. It was a very dangerous thing to do. And so they hid them in their house until they could shuttle them out. And then one day, everything changed. The Nazis stormed in. They discovered their hidden radio, they discovered their hidden compartments, and they arrested them. Corrie ten Boone was beaten around by the police officer, bloodied and bruised, a big swollen black eye. She was handcuffed to her sister and violently jerked out of the house, taken down to the police station. It reminded me a bit of Mark chapter 1. The sky just being ripped open and the, and the bellowing voice of God, this fearful event. And as you read the story of Corey ten Boom, you, you can't help but feel anxiety as you feel this. Here is this poor woman who had been doing only right and yet she was ripped from her home, never to see it the same way again, never to experience life the same way. She would go on to a concentration camp and yet she would write, how in the midst of this violent upheaval of her life, she experienced the peace of God. I thought, there's that fluttering dove, just kind of alighting itself on a very ripped-up scene, a scene even of violence. I would imagine that if I talked to a number of you, you probably could share something similar about your life a violent upheaval, a shaking of your life. Maybe it was an illness you weren't expecting or the illness of a loved one, a disease that has affected your family. Maybe the loss of a job or even the death of a loved one way too soon. It's as if the earth itself was shaking all around you. A sudden loss, a sudden departure from the norm and you feel unsteady on your feet because of it. And then comes the presence of God, like a dove, alighting itself and setting itself on you, whispering to you and telling you just how deeply loved that you are and safe that you are. That beneath his shadow, you are in the safest place in all of the universe, and irrespective of the shaking and the rumbling and the thunderous noise around you, you are secure and safe. I could well imagine that if we were to have a testimony time, there would be a number of you here who could share that very same story. 
The sky above was tearing. The voice was booming. And yet, I found the experience of God, the presence, the peace of that Holy Spirit. That, that is so much like Him to come in the midst of those things and to bring His peace. I myself have experienced this many times over. When in the midst of upheaval, in the midst of, of, of problems and, and situations that should be causing great anxiety and great fear, instead I've experienced his peace. It's, it's the presence, it's the coming of that dove, alighting itself in my situation, in my world, bringing his peace. I pray you've experienced that that you will continue to experience it, that you may even begin to look for it and wait upon it as the sky above you is being torn in two and the thunderous noise is all around you. What, what a scene that Mark paints here for us. And then Mark moves Jesus into the wilderness by the word immediately. Immediately the Spirit sent Jesus, drove Jesus into the wilderness. The same Spirit that came on like a dove now pushed him. In fact, the word to drive him out almost is, it's, it's almost like an exorcism. It's to cast him out, to push him out. Say, okay, it's, it's not good enough here anymore. You've got to move. You've got to leave this place. And it pushes Jesus out into the wilderness a time of 40 days of, of fasting before he begins his ministry. A time of temptation, a time of trial. And that, again, is so like our God. It, it's not enough that he, he comes into our lives like a, like a dove and lands quietly on our shoulder, reassuring us of the peace. But there's also this time for change, this time for challenge. Say, I've got to push you beyond your comfort zone. I've got to take you to a place that may not feel secure. It may even feel a bit unsafe. I've got to take you there. And he takes us there for one very good reason, and that is so that we can get to know him better and get to know who he is and get to know how he walks with us. You know, there, there are moments that I've looked back on my most trying times of my life, and I don't want to say I was thankful for them, yet I'm very thankful for what they did, for what they brought out in my life, for passing through some very difficult trying times in which I was trying to find God and understand who He was. And now looking back, I realized what that brought to me. And what it gave to me, it was as though the Spirit was driving me out, pushing me to a new place. And I wonder if some of you have been pushed as well. I wonder if some of you have been thrust out of your own comfort zones by the same Spirit who loves you and cares for you and reassures you that He's present, but says to you now, it's time to know me in another way. It's time to understand me through suffering. 
Because that's exactly what the temptation experience was for Jesus. We read in Romans chapter 5, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5, that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Now, we think, well, how, how did Jesus have to learn anything? I don't think as much as having head knowledge of it, but beginning to experience what obedience was. And the only way to do that was to pass through suffering. It seems like that this, this is one of the, the tools that God routinely and often uses in our lives to teach us about himself. And I wonder if some of you here today could say the very same things, looking back at maybe some of the darkest moments of your life, wondering how you even made it, and then beginning to do an inventory and realize just how much you gained from those moments. How much insight that you now have. How much more power in the spirit that you walk in because of that. Because the Holy Spirit said, we're not going to just stay here. I've got to move you along. I've got to drive you out, so to speak, and takes you some, somewhere else. Maybe some of you are in a stage right now where it feels as if you're being driven out by his Holy Spirit. Well, go understanding that he walks with you and that he loves and cares for you and desires nothing but to see Jesus Christ being formed in you and in me. He wants to see his son being formed in us. And so he uses these events to do that. So the Spirit drove Jesus out. And the last and final scene that Mark paints for us is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He leaps ahead at least several months, maybe six months or so. John is now put in prison, John the Baptist. And that seems to set off Jesus' ministry. And he begins to preach. He starts in Galilee in the northern section of Israel. And he begins to preach a very simple message, and that is repent and believe in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. And now, to see it, to understand it, you have to repent. And you know, that's a, that's a word that we may not use too often. It's a word that doesn't seem to appear in some of our, our lingo as much as it used to be. Repent. There's almost a, a dark, darkness to that word. I kind of think in my mind's eye when I hear that word of the old fire and brimstone preachers that used to come to my church when I was just little and they scared me, stomping and snorting across the stage of the church. But it's not that word, kind of word necessarily. The word just means to change your mind. To repent is to change your mind. To change your mind about something and to repent of your sin means to change your mind about your sins. And if we change your mind, then I suppose that all of us will follow our minds. If we begin to think differently about our sins, then we ought to live differently about our sins. And so the call of Jesus Christ here to enter this kingdom that he begins to talk about is a call to repent from the sins, to change our hearts and our minds about them, to say, this is not something I want anymore. I don't want to walk in that any longer. I don't want to continue this 
anymore. That doesn't mean that we walk perfectly or that from, every, from that point, every step that we take is always a perfect step with no mistakes. There will likely be mistakes, sometimes many of them. But that's all they are, a mistake. They no longer become our life story. They no longer become an example of how we live. As a matter of fact, as we move forward from repenting, when we do backslide, when we do slip up, when we say those things that we shouldn't have said and do those things that we shouldn't have done, we feel the grief that comes from the Holy Spirit. We realize, ah, that grieves me like it grieves God because I don't want that. I don't want to live in that. I don't want to continue in that. I want to be free from that. And Jesus lays this out as a prerequisite, as it were, to the kingdom of God. It's almost saying, here's the kingdom, here's the door, here's the entranceway. Just leave your sins behind. Change your minds about them. Turn from them. No longer seek that, but seek him. And I suppose that's the objection to this commercial that I was talking to you about. That many saw this as, but it's not just about the fact that he understands us, but he wants to change us. I believe that God wants to change every one of us here. He loves you just as you are. Absolutely, there's not a question in my mind. God loves you and he couldn't love you any more than he does right now. But he wants to change all of us until we look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Until his mind becomes our mind and his heart becomes our heart and his desires become our desires. And that's the invitation from Mark chapter 1 that we have here this morning. That the Spirit of God rests upon us during those trying times then drives us out into uncomfortable situations for the purpose of change and making us more like him. Now that we would pray to God to be more and more like Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we do give you thanks once again. And Father God, I just pray that you would stir us deeply with the call, Lord, to follow you more deeply, even if it means going to uncomfortable places in our lives, being pushed beyond what we wanted so that we can find you, so that we can be changed to be like Jesus. Oh, bless us with that, we pray. In Christ's name.